Welcome to Sermon Buzz, the sermons of Anniston First United Methodist Church in podcast format. We are continuing our sermon series, What Child Is This? The Early Life of Jesus. We're looking at some of the episodes in Jesus' early life before he began his formal ministry that sometimes gets overlooked. We often move directly from Advent and Christmas directly into his ministry. We're just pausing and sitting a little bit longer with some of the other episodes of his life. Last week, we looked at what it was like to be a member of the family of Jesus with siblings and parents and all the things that happen in families. This week, we're looking at an incident that happened when Jesus was 12 years old. I invite you to hear with me from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Each year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Supposing that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. When they did not find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were shocked. His mother said, Child, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried. We've been looking for you. Jesus replied, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His heart cherished every word in her heart. Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and with people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you're a parent, you may have had an experience where you lost track of your child. It happened to me once in a Dillard's department store in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I was with a relative and we needed to get on the elevator because she had a child in a stroller and we couldn't take the stroller up the escalator. As we waited for the elevator to come to our floor, we stood talking And when the doors opened and we went to get on, my younger son was no longer standing there with us. I tried not to panic, trying to be very calm. And I'm like, Ryan, Ryan, where where are you, Ryan? And I didn't hear an answer. So now I'm not so calm anymore. I found a store clerk. I said, my son is missing. I can't find him. They're calling store security. We're beginning to hunt. Everybody's joining in me. We're all calling for him. And that was the moment that I heard him giggle. He had stepped into the middle of one of the round clothing racks. And having everybody look for him seemed so, so interesting When I opened the clothes and I pulled him out and I remember wanting to shake him and going, don't you ever scare me like that again. And then I just hugged him really close. But please don't ever do that again. (laughs) It was that feeling of of panic. And I try to imagine what it would have been like for Mary and Joseph. 
They've traveled to Jerusalem with their son, who's 12. He's not a small child. He's on the cusp of becoming a man in their culture and their society. And they've gone for Passover. And for Passover, the population of Jerusalem would swell from being a village and the capital of their country, but it would become this enormous metropolitan area as everyone came into town. But Jesus was a responsible boy and not a small child, as I said. So when the group began to get ready and head back home, they assumed that he was among the group because everyone from Nazareth would have traveled together. And it would have been a larger group with the children playing and catching up with the group and the parents talking as they made this journey. It was not until the end of the first day's journey that they realized Jesus doesn't seem to be among the travelers. Like we can't find him. So they have to go back to Jerusalem and it takes three days to locate him. My heart aches for what Mary would have been feeling as she searched Jerusalem for three days looking for Jesus. And then when they find him, he's in the temple talking with the elders and the leaders, asking them questions, debating, engaging in conversation about scripture. So when she says, why have you done this to us? I understand that attitude completely. What do you mean you have scared me half to death? But Jesus offers the calm reply. Did you not know it was necessary that I be in my father's house? He's reminding her that he has a call on his life that is expressing itself even as he is a young boy. And I believe we get the closing piece of this passage that Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother cherished every word in her heart, reminds us that Jesus is not being rebellious. He's being who he was created to be. Now, I am also not amazed that the preachers and the the teachers and the leaders in the temple were amazed at what they heard Jesus say. Of course they were. He is God incarnate. He is God in flesh. Of course, what he has to say would be amazing. Of course, he is smart and intelligent and wise beyond his 12 years. But sometimes we encounter young people who are wise beyond their years, who we see when they are children, glimpses of who they're going to become as adults. And those in the temple are amazed at the conversations that they are having. I believe there are two things that we can learn from this passage of scripture, examining this episode of the early life of Jesus, that we can apply in our churches today. I titled this sermon, Jesus in the Church, but of course I'm using the term church loosely because there were no churches at this time. This was Jesus in the temple. But we can take from his example in that community of faith and extrapolate it to our communities of faith as we follow the example of Jesus. The first one is the intergenerational nature of what is occurring. Jesus is a young person. He is 12 years of age, and he is sitting with the elders of the community, discussing and debating. All too often, we have ideas about what is appropriate for children. 
And certainly some children have a difficult time sitting through a full worship service. They sometimes get lost in the course of the sermon and their mind wanders and they turn to a coloring sheet or a book or, or a toy. Sometimes we create separate children's churches for children or for youth, and that's okay because it's absolutely appropriate to tailor a message to where people are in their physical and emotional development, as well as in their spiritual development. But our churches should be reflective of all the generations. There is wisdom and things to be learned from every age group. How many of us have talked about out of the mouth of babes? A child says something that seems just amazing, just on point. They have really hit the nail on the head with what they said. Our churches need to remember to look for the wisdom from all the generations. It's important to us. In my research for this sermon, I found a Forbes magazine article back from 2016, and they were talking about the importance of intergenerations in organizations. They gave an example of a daycare that opened in a senior citizen's home. And regularly, the older citizens interacted with those children. And the benefits run in both directions when that happens. Older adults who interact regularly with younger people tend to suffer less depression. They feel more socially connected. They maintain their social skills for longer. And they tend to embrace and use technology to a greater extent than those who do not. There's also benefits on the other end. Younger people and the generations that follow need the wisdom and life experience that those who have walked that path before can offer to them. Too often in churches, we are making it a battle between the older experienced people who want to maintain control of Committees and teams of decision making, especially money decisions, and they want to invest in the things that they prefer. And younger people say, well, they won't let us have any say. They don't care about us. They just want to do it the way they've always done it. On the other hand, the younger people have a connection to the people that the church needs desperately to reach with the message of grace. They know how to reach people like them, people their age, people at their life stage, and at that point on their journey. And they sometimes have ideas to do things more efficiently, more effectively, sometimes even more cost-effective they can give us ideas about trends and where we can invest for the future of our congregations and churches. And I believe that in the church, the way Jesus established it and the way God intends it to be is not a war, not a struggle and a wrestling match between those with age and wisdom and those with youth and enthusiasm, but it is a beautiful wedded partnership where we get the fullness of life experience and ideas and we use them together to discern where God is leading us. And that has to begin with us no longer pointing fingers at those who are in a different generation, but embracing them. What do I have to learn from this generation? 
I have a very unique experience of having been raised by older parents. My father was born in 1917 and my mother in 1926. They were part of what many call the greatest generation. I, being raised by them, tend to think a little bit like a baby boomer, although that's not my generation. I'm in Generation X. I raised two children who are young adults now that would have been maybe in the millennial generation or just on the cusp of the next one that we considered. They think a little bit differently than I do, but there have been some things that I have learned from them. One of the things as I came through and grew up was this idea that you went to school and you got all the schooling and education that you could. Then when you got that degree, you got out and you worked and you worked as hard as you could for this middle period of time so that when you reached a certain age, you could retire and then you could enjoy. My sons, however, have no expectation that the, the things of our society that will allow them to retire exist. They knew that those segments of life have to be blurred. You can't just go to school because it's so expensive. You need to be working and finding some income. You also need some experience in order to take that education and land a full-time job afterwards with it. They also knew that technology, new inventions, information, changes and updates at such a point that to think you finish school and never have to keep learning would be wrong. So you have to engage in lifelong learning processes. And because they may never get the opportunity to retire and have 20, 30 years at the end of their life to enjoy and play, they want to be sure there's a better work-life rhythm for them, even in their young days. They want to be there with their spouse. They want to get to travel. They want to be there for their children's activities, to take their vacations and enjoy. I kind of think there's some wisdom to that. The idea that we need to be applying what we learn immediately, that we need to be willing to continue to learn throughout our lives, and that we need a better work-life rhythm so that we are present with and for those we love while they're there. Those are nuggets of wisdom I've gained from the younger generation. My parents, however, taught me about delaying gratification, about saving money, about working hard, of having a good work ethic. Both of my parents, having experienced life in the Great Depression, knew about trusting and putting all your eggs in one basket and those kinds of things that I am forever grateful for. Our churches will only become better better witnesses for Jesus Christ, better able to reach our communities, more reflective of the full kingdom of God if we engage in intergenerational programming, activities, and leadership. The other thing I want us to think about is the format that is happening in this discussion. It is a discussion. Jesus and these leaders and elders are talking. They're going back and forth, debating, asking questions, answering one another's questions. One of the shifts that seems to be happening in our world today is a move away from a lecture-based format of delivery of information. We, yes, we love TED Talks. We love videos. We watch them. But we want to be able to interact with somebody. 
We want to be able to make a comment. We want to be able to ask a question. We want someone to clarify, to give us more information. And what all the research seems to tell us is that that participatory measure makes what we're learning more effective. In classrooms, they are now having students discuss material, try it, go out and give it a shot, get your hands on it to learn more than just reading about it or hearing it talked about. We see this reflected in Jesus' ministry as he sends out his disciples to do ministry and has them come back for a time of debriefing. I believe as the church moves forward that there will always be a place in the life of the church for the sermon, for the lesson that is delivered by a teacher. But I believe we're going to see a greater emphasis on discussion, on a dialogic method of learning and of sharing information. In the early days of the Methodist journey and the Methodist revival, we saw some of this. Methodists gathered in fairly large groups to have a sermon delivered in within the community. Sometimes churches would be so packed with people that they had to stand outside the doors. It's one of the reasons that pulpits began to be raised is so that voices could carry to reach all of those people. But that was not the only thing that they did. John Wesley then organized the early Methodists into smaller groups of classes and bands where they asked one another questions. They held one another accountable. They discussed what it looked like to live out Christianity in their daily lives. I believe those discussions were as powerful, if not more powerful, than what happened in church in the larger gatherings. As a matter of fact, the records of Wesley show that more people came to faith in Jesus Christ or recommitted their lives to being a faithful Christian through the classes and band meetings than they did through the larger Methodist gatherings. Sadly, one of the things that happened with the Sunday school movement is we moved from that mutual sharing of information to a lecture format. I want you to begin asking yourself how we can rediscover the dialogic, the conversation, the question and answer method of discerning how we live life together. If that sparked something with you, I hope you'll go to Kyle and ask to be included in the small group training coming this week. I believe that the days ahead contain some changes for church, for the whole church, not just our congregation but how we continue the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ into the future. This little episode of Jesus going to the, the temple on his 12th birthday or the year that he was 12 for Passover causes us to wonder many things. What is the intergenerational nature of our congregation and how do we increase that? And how can we better incorporate discussion-based spiritual formation practices, which appear to be more effective into our lives. Thank you for joining us for worship today. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, remind us that your Holy Spirit leads and guides believers of all ages, that you call us all to be a part of the mission and ministry of your church to be witnesses to Jesus Christ, 
Lord, help us to make room for all the voices that you draw to us, to hear your wisdom out of someone regardless of their physical age. Because, Lord, we know that spiritual maturity is not always connected to chronological age. And, Lord, help us to find the ways in which we can reach people for you, that we can deepen our own understanding of Christian faith, and that we can come deeper and more carefully walk with you as we do. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about Anniston First, visit us at AnnistonFirst.info. Connect with us on Facebook or visit our YouTube channel.